Let's speaking of that. So I'm going to teach something totally new that the Lord laid on my heart for today. Is that okay? So last week in, in passing, like I was in a different message on your identity, but I kind of mentioned this thing about the food shortages in America. And I said, it's possible. I didn't say it was happening. I said, it's possible that this thing gets worse before it gets better. And it might not be a bad idea to go to Sam's club or Costco and stock up on rice and beans, not for a year, maybe for a week, just in case, you know, we're ever in a pickle, you don't freak out. I, now if you're new to the church, I am not a doom and gloom end times, you know, preacher. Like I'm not a fear preacher. I always see hope and life and joy and happiness in, in the kingdom of God because wherever the presence of God is, there is, there is joy. And, and God's not going to take his presence from us. So even in the midst of whatever happens in the last days on earth, the Holy Spirit is going to be with us. So we're always going to have hope and joy. So I'm not going to freak out. Now, and, and I'm not even sure that $5 a gallon gas is a sign of the end times or not. So I'm not even saying we have to push the panic button and freak out. I am saying that if it hits $7, we should be looking for the four apocalyptic horsemen to be riding in. It's probably why they're going to be riding in on a horse because they can't afford to drive. That's a pretty good joke. Uh, California people are sure this is the end times because they're paying $7 a gallon. So that's just crazy, crazy talk. So good. Um, we also have a lot of people at Uncommon that are new to Jesus. They're new to the Bible and they might not know what to expect. So in case you don't know that one of these days, all this is going to wrap up on earth and Jesus is going to come back. Um, I want to help teach you a little bit about that. In my message about the Jewish people that I taught from Israel a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that over on the Mount of Olives, which was just to my left, um, one day, soon, maybe, Jesus is going to return from heaven and set foot on the Mount of Olives, and he's going to establish a 1,000-year reign from Jerusalem. And I think if you're new to Jesus stuff, you were like, say what? Like that might be like a surprise to people. And if that was news to you that, that Jesus is coming back, that he's going to come back to the Mount of Olives, that he's going to reign for a thousand years from Jerusalem. If any of that was new information for you, your homework assignment is to read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Like just, and you could do it, you know, over a year or this week, whatever's good for you, but you have to read your Bible. I do not want you to be Bible illiterate like most Christians. So that means you're going to need to start a Bible reading plan today. In about 15 minutes a day, you could read the Bible in a year, easily. 15 minutes a day. Some parts are going to be super boring. I get it. Some parts are going to change your life forever. But all of it is, is the inspired Word of God. So you have to be Bible literate. Read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Let's get into what Jesus said in Matthew. It's at the end of Jesus's ministry, and he's talking about the end times, whenever the end times are. I'm not saying it is now. I'm just saying it's possible. So I want to prepare you in case we're getting ready to get ready. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus was leaving the temple grounds. His disciples pointed out the various temple buildings. Now, let me stop right there. The temple was this massive stone structure built before electricity and stone, you know, electric saws and laser saws were created. Like the fact that they built the temple, the fact that they built the pyramids, the fact that the ancient people built anything before DeWalt was invented blows my mind. So the disciples were just like, hey, JC, what do you think about these buildings? And here's Jesus's response in verse two. Do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth. They will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. And by the way, that happened in 70 AD. This stone structure that looked like it could never be torn down was taken down stone by stone by the Romans. Verse 3. Later, Jesus was up on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, um, Hey, boss, when is this going to happen? 
Like, is there going to be a sign? Is there going to be a bat signal that we know that it's your return is coming and that the end of the world has come? Jesus said, fellas, don't let anybody mislead you. Many people are going to come in my name and they're going to say, I'm the Messiah. And they're going to deceive many people. You're going to hear about wars and threats of war, but do not panic. These things must take place, but the end actually won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation. Kingdom will war against kingdom. Listen to this. There will be famines and earthquakes in many different parts of the world. All of this is only the birth pains. It's the Braxton Hicks contractions. There's more to come. And then he gives a warning to the Jesus followers. So if you are a Jesus follower, get excited for verse 9. You will be arrested. You will be persecuted. You will be killed. You're going to be hated all over the world because you're Jesus followers. Come on, somebody. Is that exciting or what? Many people are going to turn away. People are going to betray each other. They're going to hate each other. There's going to be false prophets that appear, and they're going to deceive people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold, but uncommon church that endures to the end will be saved. The good news about the kingdom of God is going to be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations hear it and then the end will come. Isn't it exciting that from the, the, the very words of Jesus, he says Christians are going to be arrested, persecuted, and hated. Fun. I can't like, right? If you think about it, we're already there. If you believe that the Bible is true, if you believe that God is real, if you believe that Jesus came and lived and died 2,000 years ago and took our sin to the cross and, and defeated sickness, death, hell, and the grave, was raised from the dead and ascended back into heaven, if you believe that there is an absolute moral truth and that sin is real and it separates us from the love of God, if you believe that there are two genders, you are a radical extremist because you believe ancient Judeo-Christian values. Is that not the most bananas thing in the world? And most of the world considers it hate speech simply to believe that God is real and the Bible is true. When I was, I'm 47 years old. I am stunned at how much our world has changed in the last five or six years. Completely stunned. So if that much has changed in the last five years, get ready, get ready, get ready. Because that means that there's famines and earthquakes and wars. Like, let's go. I mean, like, let's get this thing going. Is this the end times? I have no idea. Is it possible? Sure, it's possible. But I remind you that Jesus warned us that many people are going to turn away. Many people are going to cash in their chips and walk away from Jesus. That will not happen at Uncommon Church. We are going to stay faithful to the end, no matter what. But that's not going to happen by accident. You have to be well-educated on what is going to happen. And just in case, $5 gallon gas, COVID, food shortages, war in the Ukraine, and whatever crazy Armageddon thing is going to happen tomorrow is the sign of the end times, I want to teach you on how people of faith respond. One thing that Jesus mentioned was that there would be famine. Now, famine in the ancient world, what does that translate to in 2022? Food shortages. And in the ancient world in particular, there was nothing worse than a food shortage, than a famine. Because if there was no rain, you couldn't grow crops and you were going to die. Like today, if we have a famine in one part of the world, we can ship food from another part of the world that can grow food. But in the ancient world, 
if you didn't have rain, if you couldn't grow a crop, a famine could pop up overnight and it would take years to heal the land and get crops growing again. People would die. Like famine was an extreme, serious, panic button, end of the world thing to freak out about. And I wanna to read to you three different famines in the Bible and how people of faith responded in a famine. Because that's how I want us to respond. We are a people of faith, we will not give in to fear. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. We are uncommon. We are meant to look and think and believe differently than the rest of the world. Now that does not mean that we are against anybody. We're simply for God and for his ways. So how should people of faith respond in crisis? How should people of faith respond in the end times? I'll read you three famines in the Bible. I remind you this is worst case scenario for ancient people and the way that they responded by faith. The first one goes all the way back to Isaac. Isaac was Abraham's son. This is the child of promise that was taken up for the mountain and then was not sacrificed because God gave a ram in the thicket. And in Genesis chapter 26, there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. I'm sure that's the one you guys were thinking about when I read that. But it was a different famine in the, in the time of Isaac. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. The Lord appeared to him and said, Isaac, do not go down to Egypt. Don't dwell in that land, dwell in the land that I'm gonna give you. Sojourn in this land, in famine town, and I will be with you and I will bless you because you and your offspring, I'm gonna give these lands. I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. So there's a famine in the whole land, but don't try to go to Egypt and outrun it. Like just stay here. Don't do what everybody else is doing. Isaac, I want you to be uncommon. I want you to do things differently than the rest of the world. And if you stay in famine town, I'm gonna bless you if you trust me and obey me. So even though there's a famine everywhere else, God wants to bless his people because God's not afraid of the famine. Now skip down to verse 12, look at Isaac's response. Isaac sowed into that land and he reaped in the same year a hundredfold harvest. The Lord supernaturally blessed him. Listen to verse 13, and I love that God included this. He became rich and then he gained more and more until he became very wealthy. That's a lot of prosperity in a time of a famine. Not only did he have a hundredfold blessing in one year, then he became rich, then he got even more, and then he became very wealthy. I love God because God's not afraid of famine. God's not afraid when everybody else is afraid. God's, and when the whole world is in turmoil, God's like, if you trust me and obey me, I'm gonna bless you, you're gonna be okay. Don't be afraid of the end times because God's not afraid of the end times. Don't be afraid of the economy crashing because God's not afraid of the economy crashing. God is always gonna look for ways to bless his children because he's a loving father. Now we have to look at this scripture at the two triggers that, that Isaac did to trigger God's blessing. First, I already mentioned it, God obeyed, uh, Isaac obeyed God. Instead of running down to Egypt like everybody else was doing, he settled in famine town. He didn't go looking for greener grass in another church, I mean in another city. He stayed right there and he, he, he put roots down and created much fruit. Our ability, this is important, you might want to write this down. You should be writing all this down. This is amazing. Our, what if our YouTube channel is taken down because it's hate speech? Your notes are going to be what you need to hold you through difficult times. And a, what, if, what if the Bible app gets taken off of your phone? Paper Bible wouldn't hurt like our forefathers used to have. The old people clap. Young people are like, what's a paper Bible? Wait, they print that on paper? 
It's on my phone. Our ability to hear God's voice and then obey what he's asking us to do is a key to unlocking God's favor in difficult times. And if you don't know how to pray and hear the voice of God, you will struggle in the end times. You need to, while things are good, learn how to pray and hear and wait on God and have him speak to your heart so that you know how to hear the voice of God and you know how to be obedient to what he's asking you to do. The second thing that Isaac did that triggered God's favor, we find in verse 12, I'll read it again. Isaac sowed in the land and then he reaped a hundred year harvest in one year. Isaac made a business decision and he made it by faith. And even during a famine, and let me explain this in the ancient world. In a famine in the ancient world, there was no rain. So if you had any seed, it would be stupid to put it in the ground because the seed is gonna go into the ground and die and then you're gonna starve to death. If you have seed, grind it into flour and eat bread. Don't take your seed and plant it in the ground because the seed is gonna die because there's no rain. But Isaac trusted God, he heard from God, he obeyed God, and then he intentionally and, and by faith invested a business decision in his future, and then God blessed him with a hundredfold harvest in the same year. That's a complete supernatural miracle. Isaac sowed into his future. See, this would be foolish in the eyes of the world. If other people see you investing in the future during the time of famine, the, the world is gonna say you're an idiot because you're taking the thing that is most valuable, your seed, and you're putting it into the ground, which would, you would think it's gonna die in the ground, but when you put it into the hand of God, that's where it opens up his ability to bless you. Which this verse never made sense to me until I was reading all of this out. Psalm 126 and verse five. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. So it might hurt you to put your seed into the ground and you might be hungry for a couple of months while that seed is growing into a harvest, but you will shout with joy when you receive a harvest on what you trusted God with in your future. So Isaac and his servants, they made a financial business decision. We're not gonna eat this seed. Instead, we're gonna take a step of faith and believe that God is gonna bless us in the future. So I don't know what's gonna happen over the next few years, but my advice to you is take a tip from Isaac and invest in your future. Don't panic, don't eat your seed. Trust that God is gonna provide for your future. Take a step of faith, don't give in to fear. So put your seed into the hand of God that he can bless you. If, once you get it out of your hand, it gets into the hand of God and that's where the blessing and multiplication comes. That's why Jesus said, the people are hungry, bring me some bread and fish. The little boy gave it to Jesus. When it transferred from human hands to the hands of God, that's where it was able to be multiplied and then given back to the people. So by faith, you need to invest in your future. And I'm literally talking about investing financially in your future. Well, I don't know if there's gonna be a future world. Well, let's hope by faith there will be, and when you get there, I want you to have money, so why don't you start a 401k now? Why don't you invest in your retirement funds now? If you need to, I don't care what you believe in, buy gold, buy fake money on, you know, that has to be mined in a computer in, in Norway, whatever you have to do, invest financially in your future, but not just financially. We're all gonna to live to be you know, 80, 90, 100 years old. Invest in your future health. If you're overweight, lose weight. If your blood pressure's high, get it lower. If your sodium's high, get it down. If you're weak and flabby like, like I was, start going to the gym and getting strong and doing some exercises. Invest in, you're like, you look kinda chubby. I didn't say skinny, I said strong. <laughs> Invest in your health. 
Invest in your future self. If you haven't been to the doctor in a minute, schedule a checkup and get some blood work drawn. Have them take a look at your numbers and see what's going on on the inside. Let a doctor look under your hood. Why? Because you're investing in your future. Invest in your mind. When was the last time you read a book? I mean a, a real book, a book that you learned something, a book that challenged you. When was the last time you took a college course for no reason except that you were interested in something? Even if you just audit the course, just to read the book and listen to the lectures, just to get smarter. Like, it, you don't have to just let your brain rot an auto mode on Netflix. It's, you're, it's okay to learn something new and challenge yourself. Learn a new language and then take a trip. Why? You're investing in your future brain. Invest in your future family. Invest in your kids, invest in your loved ones, invest. If you've got family members that you haven't spoken to in years, it might be time to forgive people and make a phone call. Take a road trip to somebody's house and love on them. Invest in your future family. <laughs> Parents, your, child, your children are literally your future. Invest in the legacy of your kids. You're, you're not just, you didn't just have kids to let the school raise them. You are the pastor of your home and you are the youth pastor and the kids pastor of your home. So you are responsible to raise your kids in the fear of the Lord. You're investing in your future. <sighs> let me wrap this little section up. The, the, the world would call you an idiot for planting seed during a famine. And when they yell at you and they text about you and they say things about you on, on Facegram, you just smile and bless them. You don't have to get defensive. You don't have to call them an idiot. You don't have to defend yourself. Just smile and bless them because the world doesn't have faith in God. So they're not going to understand what faith looks like when it's executed on the earth. Think about ne Nehemiah was, was rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and Sanballat came and he began to mock and, and destroy. He was just roasting Nehemiah for trying to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah didn't like stop and be like, oh man, Sanballat criticized me. I'm so sad because I care what Sanballat thinks. No, Nehemiah had a word from God and he was investing in his future. He didn't care what critics were saying. Speaking of Nehemiah, that's actually our second famine. I have read Nehemiah several times. I've studied it. I've preached on it. I totally forgot that Nehemiah did all that during a famine. Nehemiah rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem in a famine in the land of Israel. The Jewish people returned to Israel to reclaim their ancient land, reclaim their ancient homes, and protect the, the city of Jerusalem by rebuilding the walls. But the, there was a famine going on, so people were starving to death. So they began to sell and mortgage their ancient great-grandparents' home and land. This was what God gave to the people of Israel, was the land of Israel, but they couldn't afford to own it, so they had to sell it. And here's the problem. They were selling it to other Jews that were then charging an extremely high interest and taxes on the, their other Jewish brothers. So Nehemiah chapter 5, the word gets to Nehemiah in, in chapter 5, and he's totally upset. There were those who said, with our sons and daughters, they were many, let us get grain that we might eat and keep alive. There were also those that said, dude, we've been mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our houses just so we can get some grain because of this famine. There were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. So now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, meaning other Jewish people own me. My children are like their children, yet we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves. In fact, some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to do anything about it. For other men 
have our fields and vineyards. So verse eight is when Nehemiah responds. He says, I was very angry when I heard the outcry of the people and I heard their words. I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the other nobles and officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest from your brothers. Now let's just stop there and talk about this because he goes on and I'm just gonna summarize it. Nehemiah called all the people together and then he heard the cry of the people and then he rebuked those that were charging high interest on other Jewish people. He said, you're causing them to starve. They're selling their own children into slavery just so that they can, these are not strangers. These are your brothers in the flesh other Jewish people, and you're, you're stealing their land from them and charging interest. So he rebukes them, and here's what Nehemiah does. He calls them back to family. He calls them back to community. He said, we're all Jews trying to rebuild this land. We've got to look out for each other and protect each other. What's the point? In a time of famine, when things are difficult in society, family comes first. We look out for each other. We don't do what's best for me. We do what's best for we. And in the end times, I don't know what's going to come, but the family of God needs to circle the wagons and protect one another. That was a good place to clap. <laughs>